As we come now before God's Word, uh, please turn in your Bibles if you'd like to read with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. That's no surprise to us now, I suppose, but here we are, Hebrews in chapter 12. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord God, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you, holy and pleasing to you. So would you help us now to really listen, to submit ourselves to your word. Help us, Lord, to hear to believe and to follow you. We know that your word is true. Would you bring light to our eyes now to see it? Guide us, we pray, by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. I want to take here uh, these last verses. We'll begin in verse 18 and read through the end. So this is Hebrews chapter 12 beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages may be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of God. Now, 
There's a lot to process here. And we'll start to sift through some of these things in just a moment. But I think it will help us if we look where the author is headed first. So some of you know that I like very much to play board games. And when I'm introducing a new player to a new board game, I often start first by explaining the goal. So how do you win that game? What's the purpose of this game? What are we striving after? So if we're playing Monopoly, which I know most people are familiar with, not really my jam, that's all right. If we're playing Monopoly and I'm teaching you, before I teach you about all the properties and the railroads and, and the get-out-of-jail-free cards and free parking and, and what it means that you won second prize in a beauty contest, why it couldn't be first prize, I don't know, is beyond me. Uh, we would first talk about how the goal of Monopoly is to be the last player left when everybody else is bankrupt. That's how you win a monopoly. That's the goal. So before we kind of piece apart all the moving pieces of this particular text, first, let's look at the goal. And it's not just to win or to avoid bankruptcy. The purpose of his writing here is marked at the end in verse 28 by the word, Therefore. In other words, everything he has just said now leads up to this, therefore, and in this section, he says that his ultimate desire for us is that we would offer to God acceptable worship. That's the goal, to offer to God acceptable worship. So we want to try to keep that in mind as we go through. We want to try to understand what that means so we can learn how to do it. How do we offer to God this acceptable worship? Before we back up into the text to take a look at what that might look like, first we need to address this word acceptable. Because in my mind, when I hear that word acceptable, I think about a passing grade. You know that tough class that you took in high school, that one that really, math, I know we've got some math people in here, but you know, whatever was the tough one, the, the acceptable grade would just be the, you know, the C minus. But we're not just going for C minus worship here. I know this is the approach of some people when we come to the things of God. To really ask the question, how much do I have to do to pass? Where's that line that I just barely have to get over? Really, what's good enough? And you know, I'm a big fan of asking questions, but I will say that those are the wrong questions to be asking. If we're asking What's good enough to pass? At best, that is a misunderstanding of God, and it is a misunderstanding of the gospel of grace, something that's based instead in fear. At its worst, those questions come from the sin of selfishness. 
that if we're just trying to pass, we're really trying to hold on to control instead of surrendering ourselves to really be true followers of Jesus. If that's the case, we need to confess that sin, repent of it so that Jesus can begin to transform it. We know that in the Bible, our relationship to God is many things, but our relationship to God is mainly, mainly one of love. So we hear in the scriptures that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We hear that he first loved us. And so now we love him, that our lives become ones that love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we continue to grow in that over the course of our lives. We know that there are still plenty of failures, plenty of sins against God and one another on our end. But since our relationship to God is mainly one of love, it is nonsense to just look for a passing grade We could never imagine, at least for a healthy person, we could never imagine this person saying to their spouse, I love you just barely enough. I want to love you with just enough. Just enough not to make you mad. I want to love you just enough to keep you around. I want to love you just enough to stay with you. We would never be content with a C-minus love. Even if we don't experience it, we know that we're after that A-plus love. That's the meaning here of acceptable worship. Acceptable is more, is closer to the A plus than the C minus. We want abundant worship, not worship that is just enough. We see an example of this just to kind of put more skin on it in the book of Philippians. This is, you don't have to turn there. Uh, Just briefly, an example at the end. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, we can see an example. The Philippian people gave a particular gift, and Paul says this in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, here's what we want. A fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You can hear it there. An acceptable sacrifice is one that is pleasing to God. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. The word literally means a well-pleasing worship. And here in Philippians, that gift that was given is called a fragrant offering. We know in the Old Testament, when burnt offerings were made, there was smoke that would come up from them as they burned the bulls and the rams as a sacrifice for sin. And as that smoke rose before God, it's often described as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It was fragrant. It smelled good to God not just because it was Sunday's pot roast or, or, or you know, cinnamon around Christmas time. That's my, my, mm. But because the smoke of those offerings 
was a sign of the people's dependence upon God, a sign that they were repentant before God, a sign of their obedience to God. This is what makes worship well-pleasing and a delight to God. We want this kind of thing, then, worship that's delightful to him. So now how do we go about it? How do we go after this well-pleasing worship? Now let's look at the rest of the Monopoly board. If you look in this text... All of this that's leading up to the well-pleasing worship is mostly the author contrasting two mountains. There are very clear sections about that. The two mountains are Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Both of these are actual literal geographic locations in the land of Israel where very important things happened in their history. Mount Sinai, you may know, is the place where the Ten Commandments of God was given to the people through Moses. And Mount Zion is the area of Jerusalem in which they built the first temple. But even though both of these mountains are physical places, they are used here as images of earthly and heavenly experiences. That Sinai is the earthly, Zion is the heavenly. That after the fall, heaven and earth was once joined in the Garden of Eden, but after the fall it was split So now he looks at the contrast between the earthly and the heavenly mountains. Let's look at them then here in the text. Let's compare. Mount Sinai, the earthly place, was, the author says, untouchable. That if even an animal wandered too close, they would have to kill it to stone that animal. And in contrast, Mount Zion is a populated city It's an assembly, a gathering of all the angels, the firstborn, all the saints. All believers are gathered there at Mount Zion. At Mount Sinai, it's characterized by gloom and storm and terror. But Mount Zion is characterized by what's called festal celebration. A shindig, in other words, a joyful celebration. Mount Sinai only had contact with Holy God, at least in the text here, through his voice. But in Mount Zion, the Holy God is fully present in their gathering with Jesus Christ as the new covenant mediator. And Mount Sinai sits in a way under the blood of Abel, the one who was murdered in Genesis, whose murder demands justice. Whereas in Mount Sinai, it sits under the blood of Jesus, whose murder satisfies justice. In essence, the tone of the one mountain is dark, and the tone of the other is bright. So the experience of worship in each one will be very different. But I think the key difference between them comes at the very beginning of the section of each text... Sinai, he says, you have not come to it. But in Zion, you have come. 
You have not come to Sinai because you can't. Not even the wandering livestock can come up close to it. But with Zion, you can come. You do come. We draw near to the living God in this heavenly Jerusalem, and that's a very good thing. The author of Hebrews, if you've been with us now over these months, you know, sometimes gives us some very serious and stern warnings. We'll look at his final warning to us here in a moment. But in the midst of all of these warnings, the author here continues to remind us again and again that whenever we draw near to God with a humble heart, it's a good thing. We can see it throughout the book of Hebrews. Let me just highlight a few. When we draw near to God, he says, Christ gives us mercy and grace to help in our time of need. When we draw near to God, Jesus makes intercession to save us to the uttermost. When we draw near to God, Christ makes us perfect. And when we draw near to God, Christ gives us a true heart. He gives us assurance of faith. He gives us hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. In other words, Jesus transforms us as we're drawing near to God. So as we look at the contrast between the two mountains, it is not God who changes. It is we who must be changed to worship. There is no other option. We must be changed in order to be able to worship, and this change has to happen through Jesus. Now, this is where the author's warning comes in. He says here to us that if the blood of Jesus which cleanses and covers sin, if the blood of Jesus speaks to us of the justice of God satisfied, then we need to listen to his voice. The warning is that we would not refuse him who speaks. Because he says here, if we refuse him, if we refuse Jesus, we will not escape, and we will face God in fire and in quaking. The people of the Old Testament caught a glimpse of this at the foot of Mount Sinai. We can see it in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Listen here to their encounter of God. Exodus chapter 19, verse Uh, 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. 
And as the sound of a trumpet grew louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. You see here in this encounter with God Almighty, the Lord descends in fire. And this God, the God of Mount Sinai, is the same God as the one we meet on Mount Sinai. Which is why in the book of Hebrews, he reminds us that our God is a consuming fire, not was, not back in the Old Testament. Our God is a consuming fire, and his fiery holiness burns up. It consumes all that is unholy. That should cause us to pause, to halt for just a moment. As you come into church week after week, I know sometimes I am even guilty of this. Do you ever pause to consider this before you step through the threshold of the sanctuary? Do you ever think to yourself, I am about to enter into a, the presence of a God who is this holy, a God who is a consuming fire, There are some who would barely give this a thought. There are some who would treat God like a buddy or a co-pilot or a therapist. And we know that God does relate to us in some ways like this. He is often friendly to us, often guides us, often heals us. But God is not buddy, co-pilot, or therapist. He is the living God, the judge of all, the Lord of all creation, who's earth is his footstool, and when he speaks, the earth thunders. Our worship of God, if we see him rightly, will never, never be flippant or casual or just routine because it's Sunday. Our worship we want to be full of reverence and awe. There are some people who say, when I see Jesus in heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is give him a big hug. No, you won't. No, you won't. I don't know where we got this idea. Probably all those internet memes that passes off uh, Christian sentimentalism, I suppose, as some knockoff Christianity. But they did not get that idea from the Bible. In the Bible, the first response of those who see Jesus, who see God in heaven, their first response is to bow in praise, to kneel in honor, and to cast their crowns before the throne. 
This is not just an act of fear, it's an act of love then, as they open up their lungs and belt out a new song of worship of God's worthiness. This is far better than a hug. This is what we were made for. The intermingling of love and reverence that pours out in a gush of awe-filled worship of the Lord God Almighty. Let's not forget that. This God, the God of Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, shakes the earth. And even more than that, if at Mount Sinai God brought an earthquake, at Mount Zion, he brings a heaven quake. It says here that he shakes both heavens and earth. And it says, the author tells us here in Hebrews, that he shakes them for a particular purpose. That is, he shakes the heavens and the earth to separate. To separate. We parents know this all the time. You know that blanket that your kids sit on that's just full of stuff? <laughs> How often we have to shake it to remove all the crumbs and dirt and smushed peas and mysterious substance that who knows how long it's been on there? That's what's happening here. The shaking is to remove the things that can be shaken so that what remains is a kingdom that cannot, that cannot be shaken. We've seen this shaking happen before on a smaller scale. In the book of Haggai, good luck finding it. It's a tiny one in the Old Testament if you like to read. Haggai chapter 2 Verse 20, just a few verses here. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. The Lord said, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and the riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brothers. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. So just like this situation, which the Lord shook the kingdoms and all that remained was his chosen one, the author of Hebrews now tells us that when the Lord shakes heaven and earth, all that will remain is his kingdom and those who are part of his kingdom. That's all that will remain. Everything else will be shaken, but his kingdom and those who are part of his kingdom. Now, 
the natural question here is this. Will I remain? Will I remain or will I be one who is shaken out? It's a good question to ask. Will I remain or will I be one who is shaken out? Because we know here that some will be shaken out. There are some who do refuse Christ. That's why the author warns us here. There are some who refuse Christ and his blood that speaks a better word. And so... On the mountain of God, those will meet God in a consuming fire. They will be shaken from the new heavens and earth like crumbs off a blanket. It's a frightening thought. But we know that the reverse here is also true. Those who do not refuse Jesus. Those who hear the voice that speaks a better word of Jesus, those who listen and trust Jesus, will remain by Jesus' grace and power. Because through Christ, you have been brought now into an unshakable kingdom. That even though the earth may give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, that even though the sun is darkened and the moon ceases to give its light, that even though the stars fall out of the sky and the powers of heaven may be shaken, Christ the King remains forever and Jesus will be your refuge and your strength so you will not be shaken if you are in him. Take comfort in that. We've come full circle here. That's how this Monopoly board goes. But remember now, we talked that there's an outcome, a purpose of him bringing all this up to us, which is, remember, to offer God well-pleasing worship with reverence and awe. I hope, I think, that feels like a natural response in light of all we've just heard. But before we end here, I want to say just one final thing about this acceptable or A-plus worship. The author tells us here in verse 28 this. Let me read it. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us be grateful. Open your eyes to see this to see all of this, to see the immensity of God, to see the awesomeness of his power, of his holiness, of his grace toward you, 
to see the gravity of his kingdom of heaven that you now have received, a kingdom that is unshakable. And when that begins to well up in thanksgiving in you, turn that grace of God back and give it to him in thankfulness. Be grateful, he says, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. In other words, in this way, offer acceptable worship. This is how you will offer your acceptable worship. Let me be as clear as I can. Your thankfulness to God is your acceptable worship. Your thankfulness to God is your acceptable worship. As you thank him for all that he is, And for all that he does, this is a pleasing aroma to God. This is the A-plus acceptable worship that brings delight to our Lord. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, help us to feel the weight of this, even to tremble in the light of this. But Lord, not in a way that we run from you, but rather to draw near to you because of the sacrifice of Christ. Would you stir a thankfulness in us? Make us humble and grateful people that as we receive the unshakable kingdom, we would give you praise that you deserve. You're a good God, and we love and trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.